Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left is the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Matt Wiley. So Matt, first things first, mate, thank you very much for coming back onto the review show. Two shows in a row now, that's good. We're beginning to, to build up some momentum in the early stages of the 2023 season. I mean, I've got to ask, mate, How's your day been so far? Yeah, it started well. Um, dropped off a bit when I discovered that Man United had got to the FA Cup final, which is always a downer, but has since gone back up to good level by appearing on this. So, you know, tops in turvy, but uh, we're in a good place at the moment. Well, that's life, isn't it, to be honest? You have your ups and downs, and yeah, not everyone can, <laughs> can reach the FA Cup final. And fair play to United for doing that. Great game against Brighton, but we're not here to discuss the FA Cup or football, for that matter. We are, of course, here to discuss the third round of the 2023 LV County Championship. And although this round was pretty much weather-affected across the board, plenty of draws actually in this round, we've still been treated to some absolute blockbusters of first-class crickets in this week's round. So, Matt, there's only really one place that we can start, and it's at a game, it's at a location, where we saw pretty much a, an incredible encounter take place on day four, and that is, of course, the home of cricket, where Middlesex beat Nottinghamshire by four wickets at Lord's Cricket Ground. So, seeing as you're actually at Lord's this week, definitely not jealous, but in terms of the game itself, mate, what did you make of this game before we get into the incredible encounter that we saw on day four? No, it was a very, very good, very good game, wasn't it? Um, a lot of slightly strange i think strands to go at with certainly with regards to the second inning declaration um but now i mean it's exactly the sort of thing that first class cricket gives you isn't it the opportunity to bat twice the twists and turns that it gives you and yeah it ended as we know first class cricket can with a proper thrilling final hour sort of just a yeah really really thrilling finish wasn't it it certainly was. But before we jump the gun and we discuss the events of day four, because that final hour pretty much had everything, to be honest. Runs, wickets, we had the, the delays from the Knots players, and then, of course, we had the light meter making an appearance in the latter stages of the day's play itself. We do have to start first and foremost with the first innings of each of these teams. And let's start first and foremost with Knots then, Matt. What did you make of Nottinghamshire's first innings? Because in terms of the start, as we've become accustomed to, with this Nottinghamshire team. They got to an absolute flyer, didn't they? So Hasib Hamid and Ben Duckett, fantastic up the top of the order. Hasib scoring 55. And Ben Duckett, he just looks a million dollars at the moment, doesn't he? 177 from 258 deliveries, 17 fours and a six. What did you make of Nottinghamshire's batting in that first innings? Yeah, overall, really, really good. I mean, like I said it last week, didn't I? Hamid and Duckett are almost a perfect opening pair. You've got one who's willing to do the job grinding down the ball and wearing things down uh, to set a platform. And then you've got one who's just willing to take the game to the bowlers and wear them down that way. There's two ways to do it. And they've got openers who can do both. So, yeah, in terms of balance, that's just brilliant. It was a bit, obviously, that sort of top middle order, there was a bit of a wobble, wasn't there? But then that's negated by the fact that uh, Stephen Mullaney comes in and just gently lost Luke Holman for a massive six. I've got to be honest, I saw that. I the first time I saw that, 
I thought it was a repeat of the shot that he played last year because he did exactly almost to the same seat in the grandstand, just lofting a massive stick. And he liked playing at Lords, uh, just Stephen Malena, as we've seen. But yeah, it was just, you know, that was the captain's innings. The platform was laid well. It was just, yeah, it was, it was a really good, proper how to bat, essentially, almost a sort of, if you want a kind of a guideline in how to put together a first class innings. You could do a lot worse than look at that. Um, you'd, you'd think maybe if the top order had been slightly more protective of the wickets, they might have gone and got a few, a couple more bonus points. But you know, it was a really, really good platform, and it gave them. Obviously, it didn't end that way, but it should have given them the opportunity to go and get a positive result. But as we'll, as I'm sure we'll come on to, it didn't. Well, we will get on to that, of course, Matt, because we do need to discuss. That final innings, a massive innings for Middlesex County Cricket Club. But before we do get onto that run chase and what we witnessed at Lords on day four, let's also give a tremendous amount of credit, actually, in that first innings to Ethan Bamber. I thought he bowled very, very well in terms of that discipline, line and length, getting movement through the air, a little bit of, of sea movement off the pitch as well. So I thought Ethan Bamber bowled very, very well, actually, for his fourth 89. And then in terms of Middlesex's innings, what have we stressed in these first two shows of the season? Middlesex's batting has been far too tame. It's been far too tepid at times. What does Mark Stoneman come and do? Scores 76 from 130. Looked so much better this week. Attacking on the front foot, not allowing bowlers like Stuart Broad and Dane Patterson to get into their rhythm and just dictate the tempo of the game. So I thought that Middlesex's first innings as well Although not to the same extent, obviously they were they were trailing by 90 runs at this point. But in terms of making those positive steps, Matt, this was definitely a big leap in the right direction for the Saxes of Middlesex. It was definitely, yeah. I mean, it could hardly have got any more steps in the wrong direction, to be fair. But this was definitely a statement of, no, we're not going to take this line down. And obviously, like I said last week, you really did not want another one of those because then you almost end in a Somerset type situation where batting words have been going on for 18 months so no it was really important and especially against bowlers of this calibre you know Stuart Broad leading the attack one of England's best of all time but even people like Lyndon James who's almost got a bit of a point to prove with his bowling because he's been out for so long or he's been away from bowling for so long he'll want to you know get into things and he's got a bit of a um I won't say a chip on his shoulder but he's got he's got a bit between his teeth to use another idiom um he's you know, he really wants to do something and show people what he can do. So you've got a really quality bowling attack there. And to be able to put up that sort of fight that they did, led by Mark Stillman and Ryan Higgins as well, because this was the period that I was there. That morning session on day three was, you know, they, they could have crumbled again. They were six down. There was about half an hour left to go until lunch. And with Stuart Broad bowling at you, you know, we know what he's capable of of doing in the space of 10 minutes. You know, he can rip the soul out of any, any batting line-up when he's on his day. But, you know, the Ryan Higgins dug in. He's that sort of lower-order, tenacious kind of presence. And, you know, they, they fought back. And because I think at one point, they could you could have put them in danger of following on. You know, I think they were five, six down and still, I think, at least 180 short, you know, and... If they had been blown away, as we've seen them be blown away, they, yeah, they could have been following on. So it was really crucial that they didn't. And yeah, it's, uh, it should be a big boost for their mental state and morale going forward. 
Absolutely, Mattons. You mentioned Ryan Higgins. He's had a very, very good start to the season in a team which has struggled with the bat in hand. Higgins has scored 256 runs, averaging 51.2. So his middle to lower order contributions are going to be massive throughout the season. We saw this from his time at Gloucestershire. He's an excellent cricketer, great all-rounder to have in that Saxes team. And I'll tell you what, he did play very, very nicely this week. I've got to say, though, that Nottinghamshire bowling attack, even though they did ultimately come out on the wrong end of the result, they did look impressive, didn't they? To reduce Middlesex to just one batting bonus point at Lords this week, it didn't seem like a, a ridiculously difficult surface in comparison to other wickets we've seen at the home of cricket. There definitely was something for the batters out there. But you look at Stuart Broad, for example, four for 68. You look at Lyndon James, 3 for 58, providing key breakthroughs. I think Middlesex did a very, very good job, actually, this week. And instead of following on and, and losing sight of this game, they gave themselves a chance. So, Matt, this is where we have to address the elephants in the room for Nottinghamshire County Cricket Club. We have to discuss their second innings and the subsequent declarations. So, what did you make of that decision? To declare the innings, bear in mind that at this point, they'd only scored 158 runs. So the, the eventual target was 249 for Middlesex to chase down over the course of 40 overs on day four. What did you make of that decision to declare with so few runs on that board? Weird. Like, really weird. Um, it's kind of like, you know, I, I can't sit here and say, oh, well, I know better than Peter Moore a man with 40 years of experience in cricket. I know better than Stephen Mullaney, a man with 20 years of experience of playing. But it was just really, it was just really, really weird, wasn't it? Like, I don't understand where the thinking was. You don't have to go all out for a win. It's not like you need it. You don't have to go all out for a win at this stage of the season. I get that, you know, come September, if you're thinking, oh, if only we'd won that game, if only we'd gone for that. But... It, it just it just seemed really really unnecessary it was just plain strange and you know obviously if it had worked then we'd be having a different conversation but i just think yeah it was an unnecessary risk to take and it's backfired it certainly has matt and i do wonder actually if it was a case of of not trying to force that win that could be one theory behind it or it could have been overconfidence let's face it look at the names in that nottinghamshire bowling attack you've got stuart broad you've got dame patterson you've got brett hutton fresh off that performance against Somerset last week. I'll see you, you're shaking your head there, Matt. Do you disagree with that then? Do you think this was purely based on, on not thinking they could force a, a result out of this? I don't think a dressing room sort of with the calm-headedness of someone like Pete Moores, with the calm-headedness, certainly Colin Shiner obviously coaches the bowling. I don't think they're the sort of people that would foster overconfidence. I think they're quite grounded, they're quite level-headed. And I just think they had a, the win in mind. I don't think they had any sense of overconfidence. I think if Stuart Broad wasn't in this game, I think they would have made the same decision to try and force the win. I, I, yeah, I, don't, I don't think any sort of element of, oh, well, we think we can really win this. Maybe they looked at how fragile Middlesex have been in the last couple of games and they thought, oh, we can really go for this. But they would have also took into the account the fact that, oh, well, they didn't do that in the first inning, so there's no reason to think they'll do it here. So... Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if there was any element of uh, cockiness. I just think it was, as a team decision, they tried to try and go for the win. And you know what? Sometimes this happens, doesn't it? It, it does. does happen. You make these declarations. We mentioned it with Worcestershire, didn't we, actually? Last mm. week in the, in the Durham game, and that ultimately did backfire. So 
you can see the logic in terms of, of trying to get that victory, in particular now that draws are just worth five points. It's no longer eight points, otherwise I think this would have played out very, very differently. But aside from the decision to declare from knots, I think we also have to give tremendous credit to the Middlesex. We, we really do, because 40 overs, to chase down 249 runs successfully, with an over to spare, bear in mind, for a team which has struggled massively with the bats, I just think you have to give so much credit to the likes of Mark Stoneman. He scored a quick 543. To the likes of Peter Milan, again, he's had a really, really tough start to the season, and he chipped in with an excellent 61 from 71 deliveries. And then someone, Matt, who I've got to say really impressed me today, in terms of the way in which he set about his innings, in terms of, again, dictating the pace, not allowing those knots bowlers to get into any sort of rhythm, was Max Holden. He looks really impressive, didn't he? He did. Yeah, 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 he did. And obviously, it's not always. Lord is very much a, a theme of ground, isn't it? A, uh, it, it zips around, it comes down the, the surface, um, down the slope. Um, but yeah, uh, even even right from day one, when it was a bit fresh in the morning and there was a bit of, bit of rain dotting around and it was hardly hot and baked dry. Um, but no, he did, he did a really, really good job just keeping the control and allowing the seamers to maybe pitch it up and be a little bit more adventurous, yeah. He certainly did, and ultimately, as a result of those efforts and the efforts of the aforementioned Ryan Higgins, Middlesex ultimately getting over the line in this game, as I mentioned, with an over to spare, chasing down 249 runs to win this game by four wickets. Now, that is a huge result for Middlesex, massive, because, let's face it, Matt, a lot of people have been saying they're mid-table at best, possibly even relegation candidates at this stage of the season. And yet this really does provide a massive statement. It's a huge victory for the Saxes of Middlesex. And you have to give them so much credit. So well done, first and foremost, to those Middlesex players. I thought they played the situation quite fantastically. That run chase was excellently crafted. And also for the Middlesex fans, congratulations. The first taste of victory in the, the first division of the county championship since September 2017. So a huge victory for the Saxes, a disappointing result for Knotts. But I'll tell you what, this was an outstanding game of cricket and I have to give a tremendous amount of, of plaudits as well to the umpires for not taking them off for bad light because as soon as that bad light came around, we saw the dark clouds looming large over the home of cricket this week. We saw Martin Saggers come out and, and put the light meter on the stumps. We were thinking, oh, this is probably going to be a draw and fortunately, that wasn't the case. We were treated to an absolutely fantastic conclusion. So it takes two to tango. Congratulations to Middlesex, commiserations to Knotts, but a fantastic advert for four-day crickets in England and Wales. And Matt, talking of another team who really impressed us this week, let's move from the home of cricket and let's go slightly more north, but in an easterly direction. Let's head to Wantage Road, where the mightily impressive Hampshire team smashed North Ants by an innings and 270 runs at the county ground in Northampton. Now, North Ants won the toss and they opted to have a bowl first in this game. A decision which, to be honest, in the early stages, seemed to have paid off quite brilliantly. Fletcher Middleton, the in-form opener, being dismissed for a three-ball duck by Jack White in just the second over of the game to leave the visitors struggling on a score of two for one. But after this early success for the home side, pretty much all of the proceedings in Northampton this week belonged to the Rose and Crown of Hampshire. And in this batting performance, two players in particular, who stood out. They glisten, they gleam like gold in that innings, and Nick Gubbins and James Vince. So 
Matt, a few words on their performances. Gubbins producing a masterful 125, and then James Vince producing an exhibition in first-class cricket, one of the most aesthetically pleasing and classy and gifted cricketers in this entire country, scoring 186 from 279 balls, 22 boundaries, striking at 66.66. What did you make of those two and their efforts in Northampton this week? Yeah, they were unbelievable, weren't they? I mean, Vince especially, he's it's always been so frustrating when he's been put in an England shirt because he's never quite shown what he can do county level i mean the talent is enormous so it's always a shame you always wonder what could have been i think with him but to be honest england loss is very much hampshire's gain isn't it he's just when he's in his stride he looks almost unstoppable and yeah it's just dominance wasn't it you talk about partnership the partnership that they shared and it's not like hampshire were ever in any real trouble 72 for two not a you know it's not panic stations is it but to just effortlessly guide them through basically almost two full sessions and yeah the pair of them um gubbins especially haven't you got a really really shrewd deal when they signed him and yeah it was just all around you don't let the bowlers have an inch you wear them down you keep going you just bat and bat and bat don't you and it was just yeah the pair of them incredible they really were, Matt. To be honest, I don't think there's any other way to describe them this week. Incredible, majestic, marvellous. I mean, any superlative could be given to these two this week because they put on an absolute exhibition. As I mentioned, a 198-run third-wicket stand completely dominate proceedings at Wantage Road and ultimately, as a result of that mammoth partnership and a very, very under-the-radar 55 from Ben Brown, it has to be said. Again, we talk about shrewd pieces of business He's been outstanding for Hampshire. I think both teams in that in that deal with him and Tom Alsop, Tom Alsop obviously going to Sussex, I think both those teams have, have massively benefited, actually, from those two transfers. So again, as a result of that 55 and that aforementioned partnership, Hampshire ultimately declared their innings on a huge total of 482 for eight by the end of 130 overs. Now, in response to this, unfortunately, North Ants fans... The home side just didn't turn up at all. They were skittled out for 149 runs within just 49.3 overs in the first innings. And then in the second innings, it was even worse. Bowled out for 63 runs within just 22.3 overs. With the likes of Mohamed Abbas, Carl Abbott and James Fuller just running rampant through the Northamptonshire batting lineup at Wantage Road this week. So first and foremost, Matt, before we discuss the, the Northamptonshire batting and obviously the big loss of Lewis McManus. He's broke his finger, retired hurt. We have to discuss a certain James Fuller because when we speak about that, that Hampshire bowling attack, right, and we look at the strength in depth and we talk about the likes of Carl Abbott and Mohamed Abbas. Abbas has been outstanding in the championship so far this season. Then you've got Keith Barker, who unfortunately has broken his hand, so he's also out for the foreseeable future. But James Fuller never really gets a mention, does he? And let's face it, he's a fantastic bowler. Always gets these these key breakthroughs. He's a fantastic wicket-taker. And this week, figures of 6 for 37. What did you make of his display? Yeah, it was superb. I mean, the bounce, especially, that he was getting, you know, he's a little bit quicker, isn't he? Obviously, um, his height really helped in terms of getting the bounce out of the surface. But, yeah, he was just... Um, he's, he's slots into the Hampshire attack that's obviously led by Abbott and Abbas really well. 
and like you say, it goes under the radar, but I'm sure, to be honest, that won't particularly bother him. He does his job and he does it well. And he's handy with the bat as well, isn't he? Um, just a little little cameo in the first innings. I mean, not that it made a huge amount of difference to massive total anyway, but he's just a really he's a really useful all-rounder. He's not quite the Keith Barker who will dig in and, you know, block everything out if it's a little bit tough. You know, he doesn't. he's not the sort of player who will die wonder then. Um, but no, he's fast, he's aggressive, he puts it into the surface. And yeah, if you're dealing with a fragile attack, like we saw from Northamptonshire, then, you know, he will do he will do very well. And he certainly did this week with both the bat and the ball in hand. And again, before the season even started, we mentioned the strength of this Hampshire seam attack, just to give some stats for the stats badgers out there. Mohamed Abbas, 21 wickets, an average of 13.71 so far this season. Carl Abbott's taken 12 wickets at exactly 20. And then James Fuller, as a result of this 6 for 37, he's now taken 11 wickets at 17.9. So it's a scary attack. It really is. And North Ant simply had no answers whatsoever for them on home soil this week. Apart from Josh Cobb, he did provide a little bit of resistance with a counter-attacking 44 from 78, but... Aside from that innings, really, really poor display from the home sides at Wantage Road this week. So, so Matt, in terms of the North Ants performance, we've spoken there about the, the impressive nature of Hampshire's with both the bat and the ball in hand. How would you analyse and, and summarise this particular performance from Northamptonshire in the third round? Yeah, it's, it is a difficult one because obviously he's not, Northamptonshire haven't folded before like this, it's only the first time it's really happened to them. You know, they, they, they were tipped by a lot of people to go straight back down last season, and they didn't. So they've clearly got a bit of fight in them. So you could just say, just brush it off and say, oh, it's just a one-off. But it will be slightly concerning that they'll have to make sure that they, it doesn't become a regular thing. Um, I think you can back them make, to make sure that it doesn't become a regular thing because this answer attack is so good, you can say, oh, well, this is just an unbelievable opponent. Never mind, we'll move on and we'll be, you know, back better for it in the, in the next round. But it's they're definitely at a crossroads. Yeah, they need to make sure that it doesn't become a regular thing because otherwise they will be going straight back. They will be going down. Um, but yeah, I think they, they can be confident, hopefully, um, that it isn't. Um, it is. It, it's a real shame, obviously, that you get these mismatches. Um, and it's a bit of a shame that obviously it comes in terms of Hampshire being the Test match ground, home to the 100 team versus Northamptonshire, seen as you know, one of the, the, the weaker sides in terms of financial muscle. So it's a bit of a shame that for, for anybody who sort of loves the other 10 counties, the, the non-Test match ground, if you like, that when they, when they meet like that, that it's been such a mismatch. But, you know, the two-division system still exists and largely works well so yeah i think you can probably just put it down to a one-off it happens hampshire obviously suffered massive defeats themselves to surrey last season you know it happened, it happened to anyone um so yeah i think you just brush past it and try and come back stronger well they've got no choice have they let's face it division one is so ultra competitive you've just got to put this to one side compartmentalize it move on to the next game but it, it was a very very rough display for North Ants this week and 
obviously it is very, very early on in the season, but as you mentioned, Matt, hopefully not a repeat because it was a really, really poor display from a team which, to be honest, I did think it would, would put up a lot more resistance against the Hampshire attack. Don't get me wrong, they're an excellent team attack and we can talk about them until the cows come home, but yeah, I was a little bit underwhelmed from that batting display from the home side this week and obviously just to, to rub more salt into the wounds for North Ants, on top of that poor display, Lewis McManus retired Hurts with a broken finger in the first innings, unfortunately absent in the second innings, Matt. Just before we get on to our chat about Somersets versus Lancashire, how big of a miss will Lewis McManus be? Because in terms of his glove work, he's been very good for North Ants, hasn't he, over the course of this past season and a half? He has, yeah, obviously. Um, former Hampshire players, and he said, you know, all about him. Um, and, you know, there's probably no one. Someone like Jim Vince, for example, his former captain, will know exactly all about him and probably think that when he did have to retire hurt, obviously you never want to see anybody get hurt, but you think, well, that's a relief in terms of not having to get him out again in the second inning. Um, but, yeah, he will be a lot. They've got a replacement in Ricardo Vasconcelos who can keep, you know, they, um, but, yeah, it, it's almost what he brings to the lower order, isn't it? That kind of, is it, it, that sort of typically kind of gritty player um, who can, and you know, it's exactly what you don't want, isn't it? Having just been blown away like that, you don't want to lose a player that can, that has the potential to dig in like that. Um, but, yeah, it, it'll be, it'll it'll be a loss they'll have to replace him which will be difficult you know considering they haven't got a particularly deep squad but there are people waiting it's not like you need to go oh we need we've got to go and loan in a wicketkeeper or we've got to call up somebody who's never played a game before in the line um so yeah it'll be a challenge but i think i I don't think it's gonna need to be absolute panic just yet no well, fingers crossed for both Lewis and, of course, North Ants. It's nothing ridiculously serious. We don't want to see him having a, a, a lengthy spell on the sidelines, but it is unfortunate. But as you said, Matt, they do have replacements. So Vasconcelos can keep. They've got Harry Goldston as well. So it, it's not an absolute disaster for North Ants, but it is just a, it's an unfortunate way to, to cap off a very, very tough week for the East Midlands County. But you know what? It happens. They've just got to put it to one side and fingers crossed that in their next game they can come back strong and, and get some more points on the board. But Matt, aside from that complete domination from Hampshire at Wantage Road this week, let's move to the West Country. Let's go to the Cooper Associates County ground where Somerset and Lancashire played out a very, very high-scoring draw. And in terms of this game, just to give it some context, Lancashire won the toss and elected to have a bowl first in this game. And in the early stages... It has to be said, Lancashire were completely dominating the Somerset batters. So they had them 24 for three within the first 10 overs. Jimmy Anderson, the man, the myth, the legend himself, causing all sorts of problems, trapping Sean Dixon LBW, dismissing Tom Lamanby for 15. And then he was aptly supported by Tom Bailey, one of the most underrated seamers on the entire county circuit. So at this point, you're probably thinking Somerset 24 for three. The top order has failed yet again. Same old, same old. Somerset are going to capitulate and Lancashire will win this game comfortably. But fortunately for fans of the Wyvern of Somerset, two players came to the forefront quite magnificently on home soil this week. And the first one we have to discuss, Matt, is of course the captain, 
Mr. Reliable, Tom Abel, 151 from 285 deliveries, 19 fours, a six striking at 52.98. Just how important is the return of Tom Abel to galvanising and giving this Somerset side a boost heading into the rest of the season? Because he scores runs, he's a shrewd captain, he can also bowl a little bit, and he's a very agile fielder. So in terms of Tom Abel's importance to Somerset this season, obviously assisted by this 151, just how vital of a cog is he, in your opinion, Matt? Yeah, massive. I mean, you've summed it up there really well, mate. He can do everything, can't he? He's just that sort of... He's exactly the sort of person you want in your dressing room in terms of, obviously, massively important in a captain is the ability to basically demonstrate what you want people to do. There's no better way to do that than by doing it yourself, just saying this is the standards I expect and I'm going to show you, basically. So, yeah, it's, it's really, really important. Um, the fact that, obviously, where the bats is obviously in that sort of top order, um, it's, you want somebody who you can build an innings around, and obviously it's not going to get 150 every week, but he can get the runs that they that are required in order to lift the level of everybody else, which when you're suffering batting worlds that nobody can quite seem to find the answer for, are really, really important. Yeah, so the fact that he brings those skills and, you know, obviously I can't talk about him as a person, but you get the sense that he that he plays for the team so much, you know, he, he's been there his whole career, he knows what that team is about, that team knows what he's about, and he just he will do pretty much anything for the club. And so, yeah, as a, as a character, as a cricketer, I don't think you can ask for any more, and he will be massive he certainly will be Matins again it was just Tom Abel at his utmost best in Taunton this week it was fantastic to watch and talking to players who were just magnificent to watch in the West Country this week the other Somerset player who I have to give a tremendous mention to is of course James Rue 117 from 253 deliveries 16 fours and a six his maiden first class century on home soil his second in his career so in terms of his display, really, really impressed. To be honest, we said it before the season began, James Rue is one of these players who, when you talk to people who are involved with Somerset County Cricket Club, they look at him as the future. He is the next big thing in the West Country. And obviously, we're not going to pile the pressure on. We're not going to give him ridiculous expectations. But in terms of him as a first-class cricketer, in terms of his, his wicket-keeping, in terms of his batting, in terms of his technique, he's so, so impressive. So for me, James Rue... Definitely one of the standout performers this week and absolutely buzzing to see him score a ton in front of his home crowd. And as a result of those respective displays and a quickfire 40 not out from the nut, Jack Leach batting at number nine, scoring a quickfire 40 not out, Somerset amassed a massive total of 441 all out by the end of their first inning. So again, huge week for Somerset a team which has struggled massively with bats in the first two weeks to put 441 runs on the board is absolutely massive. And Matt, talking of a massive score, let's now talk about Lancashire's innings because, let's face it, Lancs got off to a pretty fantastic start to their innings, didn't they? A 154-run opening stand between Luke Wells. He scored 82 from 109 deliveries. And then the man of the moment, Keaton, the Jet Jennings, the captain of Lancashire County Cricket Club, producing a masterful 189 
from 247 deliveries, which included 27 fours and two sixes. So unfortunately for Lancashire fans, Keaton Jennings was actually retired hurt in that innings. We believe it's a suspected hamstring tear or hamstring injury, so we're still waiting on the club to give us some communication, actually, with regards to the severity of that injury. But, Matt, theoretically speaking, if Jennings does have a lengthy spell on the sidelines, again, how, how big of a loss would that be to Lancashire's chances across competitions? Because he does it pretty much across all three formats for them, doesn't he? He does, yeah. That, yeah, that would just be crushing, wouldn't it? Um, to lose to lose him so early as well it's it's, it's almost like he's just he's just shown what he can do and then it gets snatched away doesn't it so yeah that that would it would be really really bad um the the fact that as well you know that they'll find a replacement they've got a deep squad that it won't be critical in terms of that but it will be really really just just as well he's starting to look like an england player as well um we might well, actually, to be fair, after this week, there might be less of a question mark of one of the openers. But that's the story for another time, obviously. Um, but he he will be thinking about England again. Um, the start he's had to the season, the fact that he can do it when he's the captain as well, which is something obviously that we've seen players on. You know, your form can take a nosedive when you when you captain. So the fact that it hasn't, um, again, that just shows what he can do. But yeah, it, it will be really, really disappointing for them. Um, we just we just wait and see, um, and for him personally, hope that it's not too bad, um, and we'll just see if Lancashire lose a couple while he's out, just to gently take them out of contention for any trophies, and then he comes back and does really well and gets back into the England squad effectively. Well, fingers crossed for the Lancashire fans tuning in to today's episode. It is nothing serious. We can but hope, but yeah, let's just hope that, that Keaton doesn't have a lengthy stint on the sidelines. He's been fantastic yet again this summer, and this 189 again just personifies and displays what makes him such a fantastic cricketer. And in addition to those knocks from Wells and Jennings, Josh Bohannon as well. Again, we talk about talented cricketers. The guy's got a first-class average exceeding 40 in this format. He is a fantastic cricketer. 85 from 106 deliveries, 11 fours and two sixes. And ultimately, as a result of these mammoth batting displays, Lancashire put together a gargantuan total of 554 all-outs by the end of their 111 first innings overs. Now, in the past, this would have been quite concerning for Somerset, because although there was some rain around, and ultimately the rain did play spoil sport in this game, as you can tell, with the final result being a draw. But again, I think you've got to give Somerset tremendous credit for the grits, the fights and the resolve that they showed on home soil this week because yet again, they got off to a pretty shaky start. They were 53 for three within 18 overs. But then the likes of Abel, the likes of James Rue, Lewis Gregory and Casey Aldridge as well. Massive shout out to Casey Aldridge, maiden first class 50 in this game. Those guys just steadied the ship. They played that defensive innings and ultimately, they saw out this game. Lancashire could no longer take any breakthroughs. The game had pretty much gone by this point. The light was beginning to fade in Taunton. So ultimately, the, the game did end up in a draw. But for both sides, massive positives to take away. I think Lancs will be disappointed, the fact that they still haven't got a victory on the board this summer. But in terms of some of the bowling that we saw from Jimmy Anderson with that five in the first innings and obviously the batting performances in Lancashire's innings, the Red Rose can definitely take some positives as can Somerset, 
so much better. This is the kind of fight, the tenacity, the grit that we want to see from the Wyverns. So, again, a massive tick next to Somerset's name in the third round this week. And talking of, of performers and standout performances from the third round this week, Matt's. Let's go to our fourth and final game from the third round in Division 1. Let's head to the Spitfire ground where Kent and Essex played out a massively rain-affected draw in Canterbury. Now, in terms of this game, Essex won the toss and opted to have a bat first. And this is where my, my first question comes from, Matt. Did you see Sir Alistair Cook and his performance in Canterbury this week? Because to me, that looked like someone who wants to come out of international retirement. Yeah, 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 yeah. He certainly put his hand up and given Brendan McCullum a high five there. He's basically said, um, anything that you want me to do, I'll do it. Um, yeah, really rapid for him. I mean, to be honest, even 39 or 50 would be a bit rapid for Sir Alistair, wouldn't it? So 39 or 30, even faster. Um, but yeah, I mean, thing is, if, if any, any good batter has it in them, you know, if the balls are there to be hit, then hit them. It's, it's pointless batting slowly just for the sake of it. You, if, if you've got the opportunity, then you might as well take it. And it's not like he was completely just went mentally. He didn't. He, he kept the ball on the floor. He, that's still the Alistair Cook that we know. But, yeah, it was just really... You're almost a little bit disappointed that he couldn't quite carry it on because you almost wonder where it would have led to, to score for him at that rate with... Uh, Something a bit new and a bit unexpected. Definitely unexpected, but I'll tell you what, it was great fun. It really yeah. was, and unfortunately for Essex fans, it did come to a rather premature end on 39. Wes Agar, Kent's new signing from Australia, did ultimately get the, the killer blow to dismiss Sir Alistair for that entertaining 39. But to be honest, after that departure, it was pretty much the Essex show in Canterbury this week. Nick Brown, the experienced opener, scoring 159 from 299 deliveries, including 23 fours and a six. And then Captain Fantastic, Tom Wesley, great to see him back in the runs with an excellent 148 from 185 deliveries. So as a result of their massive, massive stand of 265 runs for the second wicket, Essex pretty much guaranteed themselves at least the draw points in Canterbury this week. And this is where we pick up the conversation, isn't it, Matt? About a player who has been massively under fire in recent weeks and someone who has been subject to a lot of criticism, both in the written press and, of course, on social media. And that is, of course, Zach Crawley. Now, admittedly, this was a pretty good pitch, as you could see with that Essex innings. But the way in which he batted this week, I think we have to give him tremendous credit. We really do, because that was a top quality 170. It came from 183 balls, included 27 fours and a six. He's striking at 92.89. He brought up his century from just 96 deliveries. Matt, what do you make of the whole Zach Crawley situation? Because I think it's safe to say that he has got his critics, and there are a lot of people who have got a lot of negative things to say about him. And I do think that there is, there's, there's definitely some validity to the argument against him opening for England because at the end of the day, this was just his eighth first-class century. He hasn't exactly lit up the test arena to the standards which we would have expected for someone who's been in that side since 2020. So first and foremost, what do you make of the whole Zach Crawley debate? But more importantly, what did you make of this innings? Because for a player who has taken a massive, massive knock in his confidence, this must be gargantuan, mustn't it? 
Yeah, it really will be. And the style and, the, like you said, the rate at which he scored will be really important because that's what's been the bedrock of the criticism, the fact that he doesn't score quickly enough for this sort of, for the basketball style. And he's looked, and when he's tried to, he's looked uncomfortable and he, he gets the critics, oh, that's not his natural game. And we're, we're almost moulding him in this image that he, he, he can't play this way. But he's shown absolutely that he can play this way. And like you said, yes, it was a good pitch. You've got to take it with maybe a slight pinch of salt and you've got to make sure, he's got to make sure that he backs it up now. But, you know, you don't always have to score this rapidly. And especially in the opening, you know, the, the side that England have means that you can, as an opener, you can almost be a little bit more circumspect and you can keep an eye on things while the middle order you know, you look at I mean, Ben Stokes, Johnny Berthold coming back. Um, you've got people that really can knock it around really quickly. So I think you need to take a step back with that, Crawley. And obviously, I think still at the moment, I mean, he's still only young. He's still only in the side because of what he will become, isn't it? You know, you look at him and you think there's a hell of a player in there in five years' time. But in order to become that player in five years' time, he has to be in the England team now because he has to be around the setup and he has to be playing at this level in order to develop. He has to know what he needs to do against the best bowlers in the world. And as competitive as Division 1 is, and it is competitive, and anyone who knocks it and says it's low quality is completely wrong, he he does need that constant exposure to the very best in order to build and, and become this player that pretty much anyone who regularly watches cricket knows 100% he will be able to become. So... Yeah, this will do a massive boost with confidence. It will do. It will have a massive boost for England, who might be coming and hour in about picking. And probably, you'd have to say, the only one who's under threat. Certainly uh, for the for the Ireland test. I mean, I think it, it will play against Ireland. Whether or not the the real thing, obviously the Ashes, is what comes afterwards. But it's it's definitely a relief for him. It'll be a relief for Brendan McCullum. It's. Certainly, like you said, there is there has been validity to the argument for criticising him, but it's felt a little bit at times like it was in to criticise him. You know, people who perhaps don't watch a huge amount of him to just say, "Oh, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll just knock him." But yeah, it, it, he's answered all of that, and he's given a pretty big convincing thumbs up to to everything. Um, the big thing, obviously, yeah, I've just said it, is that he's got to go and back it up. And I said it with Tom Abel, you're not going to get that massive score every week, but you don't need to get a massive score. You just need to prove that you can play like this and just just build the, you know, a good score, something that an inning can be built around. And if you pepper it occasionally with scores like this, then that's pretty much all you need. It is, Matt. And I just think it's important, actually, that we do give due plaudits and due credit when players do perform, because Zach Crawley, he has come under so much criticism, and I've got to be honest, when it came to him being England's opener, I wasn't the biggest fan of that decision in the first place, and I still think there's a lot to be left, I still think he has to work on his defence, and there's a lot of things which can be improved, right? I do think that with Zach Crawley, he's by far no means the, the finished product, but you still have to give him credit, even if you don't like him in that England setup. this was a fantastic innings, and he just dominated and dictated proceedings, right from ball one, to bring up that century 96 balls, I thought he played absolutely brilliant this week. And after a really rough start to the season, 
I watched him walk on his own back to the Kent team bus after that Edgebaston game, and he looked absolutely dejected. He looked like a player who was so low on confidence. This is not just massive for Kent, but as you mentioned, it's huge for England. Because even though there are candidates, you've got the likes of a Keaton Jennings. Yes, maybe that might be a bit up in the air now that he has got that hamstring injury. But the likes of Ben Compton, for example, who continues to score runs for Kent. In fact, even in this game, even though he did play second fiddle to Zach Crawley, he scored at a pretty accelerated rate of, of 46 with a with a strike rate of 58.97. So that 46 was pretty brisk by, by Ben Compton's standards, to say the least. And again, he is someone who is in and around that conversation. But for Zach and England, it's big. And all that we can hope for as England fans is that he can maybe use this as a springboard, use it as a platform, build some momentum heading into those ashes and score a few big runs against the Aussies because at the end of the day, no matter who scores them, we want England to do well. We want that 5-0, <laughs> even though it's probably not going to happen. But we have to say it because Glenn McGraw always says it's going to be 5-0 Australia. But even, even if England can, you know, get three wins on the board in the ashes and just bring that that urn home where it belongs. It doesn't matter who scores the runs. So well done to Zach Crawley. That's all I've got to say this week. But in terms of the rest of the game, yeah, Rain pretty much played played spoil sports. Aside from that monster knock from Zach Crawley and Ben Compton's 46, we did see an impressive 38 night outs from Joey Everson. But ultimately, this game was only ever going in one direction. Kent ultimately finishing their innings on 342 for seven before the rain came in bunches at the Spitfire ground, washed out the remainder of day four, and that was that. Both sides taking away the draw points in Canterbury this week. And as a result of those four fixtures in Division 1 in the third round, let's take a look at the table heading into next week's round of fixtures. So at the top of the Division 1 table are Hampshire County Cricket Club on 45 points. In second are Essex on 40 points. In third and fourth, respectively, both with the game in hand as they didn't play in the third round are Warwickshire and Surrey County Cricket Club on 35 points and 32 points. In fifth and sixth position are Nottinghamshire and Lancashire, both on 29 points. In seventh are Kent on 28 points. In eighth, after that massive win over Notts at Lords, are Middlesex on 26 points. And then in ninth and tenth position are Northamptonshire and Somerset on 23 points and 22 points respectively. So a massive week. In Division 1, to say the very least, we saw some incredible performances, some massive, massive results for the likes of Somerset getting those draw points, Middlesex getting that first win on the board in Division 1 since 2017. So that's a massive, massive positive for the Saxes. And obviously for Hampshire, James Vince and the Rose and Crown coming back to winning way. So a fantastic round of fixtures in the first division this week. And yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable to say the least. Bring on the fourth round which gets underway on Thursday, the 27th of April. But Matt, aside then from the first division, let's take a look at the division two scores from this week. And there's only really one place that we can start when it comes to this segment. And that is, of course, at New Rose, where Gloucestershire and Worcestershire played out a rain-affected draw. Now, to set the scene, for those who somehow don't know what happened in this game, Gloucestershire won the toss and elected to have a bat first. Now, this could not have gone any more disastrously if they tried. The visitors found themselves floundering on 45 for 7 after the 22 overs in their first innings. But after this atrocious start, the momentum of this game began to swing massively in the favour 
of the glorious Gloucesters as a certain 23-year-old same bowling all-rounder by the name of Tom Price absolutely blitzed the visitors back into contention with a barnstorming 109 from just 89 deliveries alongside the lower order trio of Zafa Gohar, Marchant Delanga and AJ Dale, all three of those tailenders. Zafar may be a bit more of a bowling all-rounder in fairness, but all three of those lower order batters scoring 22 runs to ultimately propel Gloucestershire up to a far more competitive total of 231 all out by the end of their first innings. Now, Matt, before we get onto the stats and we talk about the rest of Tom Price's performance, a stellar performance, to say the very least, in Worcester this week, first and foremost, what did you make of that first session in Worcester? It was absolute carnage, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, having, um, having won the top, you'd be absolutely reeling, wouldn't you? Um, yeah, it was just, I, I think it, was, it wasn't particularly poor batting, I didn't think. It was just relentless bowling. It was just a Worcestershire bowling attack with a bit of everything and just the ability to kind of go and go and prove it. Um, Gloucestershire haven't had the, the greatest start to the season, so they were up against it to start with. Worcestershire at home, you know, they've, they've got they've got an opportunity, then let's go and take it. Um, you've kind of got a bit of a mix, haven't you? You've got Joe Leach, who's the always experienced leader, leader of the attack. Um, but then, yeah, people like Dylan Panage and Josh Tong, uh, Ben Gibbon, just that sort of developing crop that could come through. And yeah, it, it was just a really, it, it was a bit of a weird session, obviously, in that they just, they just kept, you'd think at some point somebody would stand up and say, hang on a minute, no, I'm going to grind their way through this. And just nobody seemed to be able to, did they? Um, but then, yeah, as I'm sure the, after, the afternoon and the rest of the day unfolded, you probably think Worcester should be kicking themselves a bit. Well, they certainly will, Matt, and obviously that was massively due to Tom Price, and obviously you've mentioned the century already, and that's impressive enough. A maiden first-class century from just 89 deliveries, it included 12 fours and four sixes, including a huge one, which pretty much cleared New Road. It was absolutely gargantuan and excellently called on the commentary, but as if that wasn't enough, Tom Price was probably thinking, you know what, a century's nice, but I can top this. I can make this an unforgettable game. And he did exactly that in Worcestershire's innings. So out of nowhere, he got one of the best hat-tricks that you're probably going to see in the county championship. All three of these deliveries were Jaffa's beautiful textbook swing bowling right out of the cricketing manual. So in terms of the hat-trick, it took place in the 19th over. First wicket was Azarelli. The second one was Jack Haynes. The third one was the captain of Worcestershire, Brett Dolivera. And the Gloucestershire boys just went into absolute ecstasy. It was wild scenes of carnage, chaos and bedlam in the road this week. As Tom Price became the first cricketer in the history of first-class cricket to score a century and take a hat-trick on day one of a first-class match. Now, in terms of some other stats, because this performance was unforgettable. We will be talking about this for millennia to come. Such was the impressive magnitude of this display from the Oxford-born all-rounder. But in terms of some other stats, which I just had to read out on this week's podcast, in addition to it being the first occasion where both had happened on day one, it was the fifth occasion where a century and a hat-trick had been taken place on the same day of a first-class game and just the 17th overall. Now, if we look at some of the players who 
have, have achieved this feat in the past. One of them was R.E.S. Wyatt, a man who was a legend of Warwickshire County Cricket Club, has a stand named after him. At Edgbaston, you had Leary Constantine of the West Indies. Mike Proctor of Gloucestershire as well did it in the 1970s. So, Matt, in terms of this display from Tom Price, obviously there's going to be people saying he should be on the England radar, he's going to do this, he's going to do that. Where do you see Tom Price in terms of those uncapped all-rounders? Because the man took a hat-trick last year. He took 8 for 27 against Warwickshire in Gloucestershire's victory over the Bears in Bristol. And then this performance this week has just elevated his stocks to almost stratospheric levels. So how do you view and analyse Tom Price as a cricketer? And of course, how impressed were you with this unbelievable and unforgettable display of batting and bowling from the all-round in Worcester this week? Really, really impressed. Yeah, um, obviously, for a start, you just have to say the, the manner in which he did it and the way that Gloucester was so up against it showed a real kind of almost maturity beyond his years. He's in his own 23 and to do it under that kind of pressure. Um, the one thing I'd say about as regards England, I think, you know, maybe it's always, it's always nice to say a player's England ready and it's, it's it, it, let's get all, let's go, let's get all excited. Um, I think, you know, just keep his head down, just keep doing what he's doing and those opportunities will come. You know, like I said, he's only 23. Yes, in this match, he's played like somebody five, six, seven, eight years older. But yeah, just keep keep your head down, keep doing your job. Um, and as we've seen, certainly I think under Brendan McCullum, players will get a chance. Um, I've, I've said this, the Lions programme needs to be massively expanded. He's the sort of player that could really benefit from a proper... Lions kind of program where they play regular fixtures. Um, you could almost have the Lions. I mean, just, just have a brief segue. Why not? Why not have the Lions? You know, there's always a team, a county team without a fixture. Um, there's, there's always a break, isn't it? You could have the Lions almost involved in that and just playing a friendly thing. And that's where those matches could come in. But he's the sort of player that would massively benefit from that as they look to kind of bring this next bring this next couple of players through. So. And there's a lot of others that you could name as well. But, yeah, I think he he might suffer from the fact that England have so much depth, but the fact that he's got time on his side means that it could come at any point and he'll just, as long as he keeps doing this, I think he'll be ready for it when it does. Well, fingers crossed that it does happen one day, Matt, because it would be fantastic. It'd be great for Gloucestershire, wouldn't it, as a yeah. cricket club? Obviously, in recent years, we've seen the likes of David Payne go on to represent England, but... You know, Tom Price is so impressive. His brother's a good cricketer as well, Ollie Price. He's a very, very handy batter. So, honestly, Tom Price take about worldwide media coverage for the county championship as a result of this outstanding and unbelievable individual efforts. Take a bow, mate. Take a bow. And just one more Gloucestershire player who I have to mention, actually, this time with the ball in hand, is AJ Dale. Now, before this game, his best figures in first-class cricket were 4 for 72. I actually spoke with AJ about that game on this very podcast. But in this particular encounter, 6 for 41, he was bowling heat. He was bowling good short balls. I thought his line and length was very disciplined. And he kept his radar. And he bowled really, really well in Worcester this week. So, obviously, the shine, the spotlight will be placed firmly on Tom Price for his history-making display in the West Midlands this week, but AJ Dale take a bow as well, because for a bowler, he's only 22, and this is the great thing about Gloucestershire, their young, exciting, talented prospect, 
they've got the makings of a real serious team in first-class cricket if they stay the, the course with them. So, again, AJ, he might not get the spotlights, but in terms of players to watch out for, just under-the-radar county bowlers, watch out for Ajit Singh Dale. He's a very, very good prospect, to say the very least. But, Matt, aside from Gloucestershire's performances, let's just talk about Worcestershire for the next few minutes because, obviously, they'll be massively disappointed. That first session on day one, you're thinking they're going to, to steamroll Gloucestershire here and get some, some massive points on the board. Maybe an innings victory if they could have skittled them out for less than 100. But unfortunately, they, they did lose the radar. They started searching for wickets. It's the, the cardinal sin, isn't it, in first-class cricket, losing that line list, losing that length and becoming ill-disciplined for those last three wickets. What did you make of the pair's performance? Because in particular, with the bat in hand... Yeah, after after a pretty impressive time of it in the past couple of rounds, wasn't the best display, was it, from the home side on home soil this week? It wasn't, no. And I mean, especially the, the rain didn't help, but New Road kind of developed a bit of a reputation recently, hasn't it, for a bit of a pretty batting paradise. Um, maybe, you know, we'll have to see that. Perhaps not going to be the case this year. But the fact that, you know, they got bundled out for 157 is yeah they'll have definitely been really disappointed um you have to say that when it comes to that kind of first innings advantage that is really really crucial and the fact that they found themselves on the wrong end of it after having the opponents 45 for seven i mean that would have just battered the confidence wouldn't it so it would have been pretty testing but that's the point of a first class game isn't it you know it gets the international version gets it gets called test for a reason. That's because you've got to do it for five days, not one session. Well, in this case, four days, not just one session. And yeah, to, to let it get away from you, it can be really, really costly when you can't quite finish off an innings. So the you know they can they've, they've got out of it with a draw, um, and you just have to say that there's a lot for them to work on. Um, I think you can maybe put it down to the fact that they've still got a relatively sort of young team. There's still quite a few young heads in there. Um, there's enough experience heads in there that should have, you know, that, that, that can provide that guidance. But yeah, they still, they've got time to learn that um, and and act on it. Um, but yeah, you've got to, like you said, it's a really, really massive sin to look for, to start hunting for wickets and lose your way. And ultimately, the weather has bailed them out, really. It most definitely has, and obviously for Worcestershire, I think it's very much the, the same as what we discussed when it came to, to Northants earlier. Just write this game off. Obviously, we've seen a, a history-breaking performance there from Tom Price. So, again, they do happen. They do happen. The pairs, I still think they're dark horses, you know. They are just simmering beneath the surface, as we'll see with the table as well. They are still up there and in the mix in these early stages of the 2023 campaign. So, yeah, I think this week it's just a write-off. The big positive, though, for the pairs, obviously, aside from those five points, five pretty crucial points, has to be said, maybe come the end of the season when things are getting tight at the top. But there was a little bit of concern when Brett D'Oliveira was, was retired hurt, actually, in that second innings. He got a massive bump on his hand. But fortunately, we have seen on the Worcestershire website, it's just soreness. He hasn't broken anything. He won't be out for an extended period of time. So... That is excellent news. It's a massive, massive piece of good fortune for the pairs. And honestly, I'm really delighted for Brett because he's had a pretty good start to the season. He's an interesting captain, as we saw with that Durham game. You know, he's, he's counter-attacking, he's aggressive, he's a proactive captain. So 
that is a positive takeaway from a Worcestershire perspective after this game on home soil this week. But aside from Tom Price's heroics, Matt, and that incredible encounter that we saw in the West Midlands, let's go to Cardiff, where Glamorgan and Durham played out a very entertaining draw at Sophia Gardens. Now, Glamorgan won the toss, and they elected to have a bowl first in this game. And Matt, right off the bat, this is where my first conversation piece comes from this game. Because this was a, I've just got to say it, a ridiculous decision. And one which I couldn't actually believe. I couldn't believe my eyes. I was rubbing them in disbelief when I saw it on the live stream. But we have to talk about Michael Jones's dismissal. Because for me, that looked as though it pitched a mile outside leg. And just to give this some context, right? Marnus Labashain had come on to bowl. He was bowling some off spin. It was the, the 52nd over of the first innings. And, and Durham at this point were completely bossing proceedings. They were 193 for two. Michael Jones was on 69 from 135 deliveries, looking really comfortable at the crease. And then all of a sudden, Marnus comes around the wickets. He bowls a ball, which looked to have pitched, as I said, a long distance outside leg. He goes up in this massive appeal and it gets given out. What did you make of that decision and, and how unlucky was Michael Jones to be given out on that particular occasion? Really, really unlucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was just bizarre, wasn't it? I don't quite know where, I'm, you know, it's within a player's right to appeal for anything that they think even might be remotely close and it's the umpire's, it's at the umpire's discretion to say yes or no. But yeah, it was, it was really, really odd and it's a real shame for him because he'd, you know, put the the difficulty, he, he got the platform and he was there, you know, he'd got the 50 and it was, the opportunity was there for him to go on and make a big score and then he falls victim to a decision like that and a decision go both ways it, it all evens out in the end it's an old cliche isn't it but it does but yeah it, it was it was kind of curious sort of how strong the how, how strong the appeal was and you know he must have known that it it was it, it wasn't it, it was just you know, you, you go at that sort of level of pleading when it looks really close. And like you said, the fact that he'd moved round the wicket meant that it was far more likely that it would pick up side leg. And when, you, when you're a spinner, you're bowling much slower, you see the delivery. So he, he must have known. Um, <laughs> he, he must have known that it wasn't out. So quite why he went for such a massive all-ends-up appeal was a bit weird and I can't really think of any other possible reason than a bit of desperation and I just hope he knows that he's got massively lucky with an umpire with an umpire decision that's not really uh that, that probably shouldn't have been given yeah I completely agree Matt I, I really do I think it was a bizarre decision and I really do feel for Michael Jones because he looked set for a ton he looked really comfortable. Every single ball he was playing on its merits. And as I said, he just looked in control at the crease. And to be given out in that manner, it's heartbreaking. It really is. But thankfully for Durham, it didn't derail the innings. And actually, the visitors ultimately finished on a mammoth total of 471 for nine by the end of their first innings. With the likes of Bryden Cars and Liam Travaskis. Cars scoring 91 from 110. And Liam scoring 79 from 121 ultimately putting Durham in a massively commanding position in this particular encounter. 
Ollie Robinson as well. We've mentioned him in the past, an enterprising 73 from 88. It's good to see Durham putting runs on the board. It really is because their bowling attack, as we shall discuss, is good enough to win games of cricket. And in terms of, of Durham's bowling, then, Matt, and Glamorgan's batting as well, we have to talk about these two almost in tandem. First and foremost, what did you make of Durham's bowling? Because this game was massively rain-affected, right? And in that first innings, Glamorgan did put up a decent riposte. They scored 305 runs. Aside from Kieran Carlson's 119 and Tim Van Houten's 54, some very, very low scores, as the likes of Ben Rain, he took four for 65, and Brian Cars, he took three for 89, did cause a lot of problems for that Glamorgan batting lineup. But what did you make of that Durham bowling display? Because in the first innings and the second innings, they looked pretty clinical, didn't they? They did, yeah. Um, rain affected in more ways than one, I suppose you could say. There we go, you've got the eye roll, that's all I was after. Um, no, yeah, it's just... It's, How long uh, did you spend creating that one? About the past 10 seconds, actually. I'm quite proud of myself. Oh, well done. <laughs> That's not bad. Thank you. Um, no, yeah, it was, it's, it's a, that, we've talked about the merits, haven't we, of um, well-rounded bowling attacks and the ability to have everybody who knows their role and can pull it off really well. So that's exactly what Durham have got. And when you've got the experience head of Ben Wayne sort of leading it, um, Bryden Carth, who has got to be a man and has been in and around England squads before, but he's got to be really close. Again, another one who benefit from a properly expanded and solidified Lions programme. Um, but yeah, you, you've got a bit of everything. You can never let a batter settle. Um, it goes quite deep in terms of um, the, the three spinners as well, people, um, which, which, which will really help. When you, when you quick bowlers need a bit of a rest, you can have a spinner who can tie down an end. And it's the all-rounded ability as well, isn't it? They bat deep because you've got someone like Travaskis who he's a handy batter. I mean, I saw him open against knots at Trent Bridge in the last in the for, in the last game of last season. Um, so yeah, you've got and Cars getting ninety-one, and it's the manner that they score. You know that they, they look free. I mean, Cars especially hitting a few sixes. It's just you've got some really really good cricketers in the lower order there, and you'd have to say, I mean. The fact that they're overseas didn't uh, Matt Kuderman barely barely bowled as well. Um, it means that they've got some good talent of their own, essentially. And you know Ben Rain obviously been away at Leicestershire for a bit, come back is he's one of their own. Travaskis is he's one that they've developed. Carth he's um, he, he's one that's come through the Durham Academy. It's it, it, it's uh, definitely a big thumbs up to their pathway. And yeah, I think. You'd have to say that this was definitely a match between two teams that will fancy themselves to be fighting at the right end of the table come September. Yeah, they will, Matt. And I've got to say, Durham really are impressing me. And I thought they'd be very strong at this early stage of the season. But again, they are emerging as dark horses. I think the real key aspect for Durham will be once the likes of a Matt Potts and maybe Brian and Cars do go off for England. Whether or not the, the same bowling depth will be there in comparison to other units in Division 2, but they made a very, very impressive start to the season. And as for Glamorgan, it was a pretty rough game, actually, aside from that incredible century. And Kerry Carlson deserves a lot of credit because at times he has been de described as, as giving his wicket away. But I'll tell you what, he put a great deal of, of value on it this week. And that 119 ultimately salvaged the game for Glamorgan. Because again, we spoke about Worcestershire getting those draw points. For Glamorgan, who are an out-and-out -out title contender for Division 2, to get those extra five points on the board is massive because it's going to be a dogfight. 
but they've got the capabilities to get promoted. I still firmly stand by that. I still think they're the favourites, even though they didn't have a great game this week. And I was disappointed in that second innings in particular. Yes, they were just trying to see out the game because of the rain, but 104 for six on that particular wicket, I don't think was was great viewing, to be honest. I think there were quite a few preventable dismissals yeah. that's how I describe it they were preventable they were dismissals which didn't necessarily have to pan out the way in which they did but again you could just chalk it off as an off week and at the end of the day for Glamorgan fans all that you care about is those extra points because it's going to be tight at the top as we shall discuss so for Durham very very impressed continue to impress and I tell you what if they continue this hot streak I do think the the top two is going to be very very tightly contested indeed but Matt, aside then from that encounter at Sapphire Gardens, let's head to our seventh and final game of the third round of this year's county championship. And let's go down to Hove, where Sussex and Yorkshire also played out a massively rain-affected draw on the south coast. So in terms of this game, Sussex won the toss and elected to have a bat first in this game. And to be honest... This actually appeared to have paid off quite nicely. The Martlet scoring 361 all out as a result of an excellent 95 from the aforementioned Tom Allsop and a very handy 64 from 136 deliveries, courtesy of the increasingly impressive Ollie Carter. Now, before we get on to our discussion about Yorkshire mats and we talk about the rest of this game and obviously how things panned out on day four with the rain in Hove this week, I just wanted to put the spotlight on Ollie Carter. Now, yet again, impressing in this game with that 64. He's had a very, very good start to the season. What have you made of Ollie Carter's first-class cricket potential? Because when we look at Sussex, obviously you look at the bowlers, you look at the likes of an Ollie Robinson, a Joffre Archer. Some people are looking at Henry Crocombe as well this season, someone, again, who's had a very, very impressive start. But Ollie Carter's a pretty good prospect, isn't he, in terms of his temperament, in terms of the resilience, in terms of the resolve. Again, he's someone to watch out for, isn't he, from a Sussex perspective? He is, yeah. There's no shortage of players to watch out for down there, is there? Um, you've got them in the two openers, I think, are the ones that tend to get the most of the plaudits when it comes to the batting. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, his scores this season have been really good. He's been consistent. Um, ben Curdy is a very good, a very impressive county bowler, and he's stood up to him very well. And yeah, this is, obviously, we've said about Sussex before, you know, they've gone to the absolute extreme of basically starting again you almost don't see it in any sport in this country you can almost parallel it with like an american kind of thing where they just absolutely trade off or sell off anyone who's um who, who's in in the win mode now in order to build for the future and that's what they've done they've kind of had this slack over the last couple of years where you can you can pretty much say every single time this team isn't ready but they will be in two or three years or they will be in five years well we're two or three years down the line into it now aren't we so results almost need to start coming but individually yeah you've got absolutely you've got a gem now he's still only 21 he's still got plenty of time even two or three years into this project you know that kind of underlines how you know they, they basically brought a load of 17 18 year olds into the team didn't they so now they're 21 22 they're going to start looking to become really mature effective cricketers and yeah in in him he's top um sorry he hasn't top scored tom also top scored didn't they will no doubt come on to him but he's got fifth day um he's been 
yeah, really, really impressive so far this season. And I think you just want to see him continue to do it. Well, I certainly do, Matt, because I've got a lot of time for Ollie Carter. He's a very good keeper and a very, very handy bat. In fact, he is Sussex's second leading run scorer of the first of the first two games that they played in this year's county championship. He scored 157 runs, an average of 52.33. He's currently averaging more in the county championship than Chateshwa Pajara. So someone to watch out for is Ollie Carter. And then obviously Tom Allsop. We could sing his praises all episode long, to be honest. As I said, I think that deal actually both him and Ben Brown has worked massively in the favours of both Hampshire and Sussex. It's one of those rare occasions where a transfer has actually benefited both parties involved. So again, really impressed with Tom Allsop. Unlucky not to have scored his century, but again, a fantastic innings, nonetheless, from the talented wicketkeeper batter. And Matt, talking of talented players, you mentioned him already, Ben Code, 5 for 54, but it wasn't just with the ball in hand this week, was it? For Ben Code, and I can see a massive grin appearing on your face because you know exactly what I'm about to say. But 45 from 32 balls batting at number 11, which included two fours and five sixes, striking at 140.62. It was Ben Code ball on the South Coast this week. So, in terms of that performance from Ben Code, Matt, just a few words. How impressed were you with that particular display? Yeah, really impressed. Um, I mean, I've liked Ben Coe for a long time. He's been really effective for Yorkshire um, over a number of years now. But yeah, that was a, definitely a highlight with the bat because you almost write him off as somebody you, you, when, when you come in at number 11, you think, you know, well, the end, it's, it, it's just a formality, isn't it? It's just a matter of time, which makes it really all the more impressive when something like that does happen. And, you know, we've seen it in the Gloucestershire Worcestershire game, for example, it can cost the team when you can't quite finish off an inning. But for the team that are fighting back and the team that are the opposition to the team that can't finish off the innings, it can be a lot of fun. And I think almost that helps when you've got a player that isn't expecting, isn't expected to do anything with the bat. That's what makes it really fun. It's almost like if you, if you look at the reverse, for example, when Alistair Cook got a, a wicket at Trent Bridge, it's, it's just so much fun when it's just, you just don't expect it, do you? And everybody just, Everybody watching just really enjoys it. So, yeah, um, it, I, I can't say enough about I can't say enough about Ben Code. He's just a superb performer. And he's, he's, I think, unfortunately for him, he is probably one of those that's going to just fall short of any international recognition. Um, he's victim to the, to the depth that England have got. Um, and he's just not quite at that level. But tell you what, I'm not too, disturbed, you know, I'm a bit disappointed for him on, on a individual level because he probably does deserve something but if he's doing it for Yorkshire then all the best. Exactly England's loss is ultimately Yorkshire's gain and you mentioned his impressive first class stats Matt 219 career wickets in the formats an average of 20.39 Ben Code again he deserves so much more recognition and I've got to say great analogy first and foremost with the Alistair Cook wicket at Trent Bridge that's bringing back some incredible memories of that dismissal of Ishan Sharma down not the next. Not that game, though. Not of that oh, game. Not the, not the game, but the dismissal. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> not not, yeah. not not the game for us as England fans, but yeah, legendary moment nonetheless. But great to see him performing with both the bats and the ball this week. And for me personally, a young spinner who I've got an awful lot of time for is Jack Carson. I've bigged him up so many times here on the podcast. Great to see him taking five for seventy-nine in the month of April 
on what is a very good batting surface in Hove. So again, Jack Carson, we mentioned this slew of young, talented players that Sussex possess. Definitely someone to watch out for. But in terms of the rest of the game, Matt, just before we do conclude today's episode, Sussex in the second innings did capitulate. Bowled out for 137 runs within 43.1 overs. And this did give Yorkshire a rather tantalising target, didn't it? 201 runs in essentially four sessions, because it would have been the last stages of day three, and of course day four. Now, unfortunately, day four was rained off, so we didn't get to see that in the end. But are you disappointed as a Yorkshire fan, given the fact that the team had done so well to claw themselves back in that second innings? Adam Lyth and Shea Hope looked so good at the crease as well, didn't they? After that early sustained bit of pressure from the Sussex bowlers, the likes of Finn Hudson-Prentice and Nathan McAndrew, who did have Yorkshire on 39 for three. But in terms of the overall situation, Matt, a little bit disappointed, the fact that there was no play on day four. Yeah, obviously a little bit disappointed. But at the same time, it's like, you know, we'll be bailed out by rain plenty of times. We have been and we will continue to be in the future. Everybody is, aren't they? You know, it's the ongoing just eternal thing, cricket versus rain, it probably can never be sold until you start playing it indoors, and that's never going to happen, so yeah, it, 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 it goes both ways, obviously I am disappointed in this individual case um, especially after the fight back, so you could say you know, I, one of my big things in sport is that no victory is ever deserved, no success is ever deserved, but they've definitely done enough to earn the win here Um but yeah, you know, like I say, rain works both ways. So yeah, disappointing. Um, it would have been a first win in quite a long time. There's a lot to think, oh, what could have been? But at the same time, I can guarantee that at some point this year, we all end up being happy that it rained. So that's just the way it is, isn't it? Exactly. The, the weather gods are funny, aren't they, in the yeah. game of cricket? And yeah. yeah, it is unfortunate because I think Yorkshire actually played very, very well and they probably would have deserved to have won that game. But as you said, it works both ways. And I think for both clubs, some valuable points, in particular for Sussex, who, as we shall see, are still towards the, the top end of the Division 2 table. And talking of that table, then, let's have a look at how Division 2 is shaping up at the conclusion of the third round. So at the top of the Division 2 table... If you're a Durham fan, I guess you've got a massive grin on your face right now because Durham County Cricket Club are currently top of the division on 40 points. In second are Worcestershire on 35 points. In third and fourth, respectively, are Leicestershire and Sussex on 34 points and 28 points, respectively. The key thing to mention here, though, is that Sussex were actually deducted four points for slow over rates in that Yorkshire game. So come the end of the season... We mentioned about the value of those five draw points for the likes of Glamorgan and Worcestershire. How costly could that be for the Martlets? We'll have to wait and see. But yeah, the, the Southern Outfit currently on, on 28 points at the end of the third round. In fifth are Gloucestershire on 21 points. In sixth, but with a game in hand, are Glamorgan also on 21 points. And then in seventh and eighth places respectively in Division 2 are Yorkshire and Derbyshire on 21 points and 14 points apiece. So... Division 2 looks very competitive. It really does. The teams that have got game in hands as well, the likes of Derbyshire, their dark horses, you've got the likes of Glamorgan, I think they'll come back strong as well. Division 2 is looking absolutely fantastic. So stay with us for the season because that promotion race is going to be very, very interesting indeed. And just talking of one final league, 
which is shaping up to be very interesting in 2023, the, the County Cricket Podcast Cricket Draft League. Now, at the conclusion of the third round, Bob's Boundary Bashers are still at the top. They are led by Jim Bob. He's on 5,476 points. In second are Stokeshire, captained by George Stokes on 5,390 points. And in third place are Hack Himmel County, captained by Hack Himmel on 5,319 points. So, again, first and foremost, congratulations to Bob's Boundary Bashers. Second week in a row that he's top of the table. But if you do want to join us on that fantasy league, you can find the link in the podcast description below. It's all free. It's free to join. And it's a lot of fun, I've got to say. And yet again, the TCCP11, hashtag Sam Aim for England, are now 27th in the league, rising five places at the end of the third round. So if you want to play us on that game, please feel free to do so by checking out the link in the bio. But that is essentially it from us two here at the Counter Cricket Podcast for today's episode. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you very much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.